Well, welcome again, everybody. If uh, you happen to be a guest with us, I'm, I'm John, one of the pastors on staff here, and it's good to be worshiping with you this morning. We're in a sermon series uh, this summer that's taking us through the biblical names of God in the Old Testament, and uh, the, thus the series title, Knowing God by Name. And the idea is that uh, sometimes our training in the church can center on this idea of learning about God, uh, but when you come to the real heart of the Christian faith, it's, it's about knowing God, not just knowing about God. And there's a big difference between those things, right? Knowing about God is religion. Knowing God is eternal life, said Jesus. Look at what he said. Now this is eternal life, that they, he, he's praying here to God the Father, that they his followers, the disciples, know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's a big part of what we understand as eternal life is knowing God, not just knowing about God now, knowing God as a person. And the the names for God used in scripture reveal some aspects of God's character and the way God interacts with people. So, that the names of God help us know God. Jesus said he was in the business of making God known, and we believe that the Holy Spirit is in that same business. Look at what Jesus said again, praying. I have made you known to them, made you, God, known to my followers, and will continue to make you known. Our faith is based upon revelation, not reason. We did not come to this by our own reasoning or uh, a capability to figure things out. God revealed himself most fully in Jesus for the purpose of making himself known because he wants people to know him. That's the point. And God is continuing in that business. So we believe it's not only possible to know God, it is what God wants. And as we've been moving through this series, we've been remembering that there are several foundational names of God in scripture and, and those are these. There's uh, Yahweh, uh, the, the, the four letters, uh, and if, if you read this in your, in your translation of the Bible, you'll probably see the word Lord in all capital letters. When you see that, it means this, this name. This is the personal name of God. Uh, like I've been using the illustration of Pastor Josh. I've been saying this the whole series. We, we call Pastor Josh Pastor. We might call him Pastor Josh. If you call him Pastor, that's what he does, but his name is Josh. This is God's name, it is who God is. And there are other names for God, Adonai, meaning, meaning Lord, capital L, small O-R-D in our English Bibles. And then uh, God, we also see in our English Bibles, translating the Hebrew word Elohim. This is what God is. God is God, creator of all. So those are the foundational names of God. And then there are compound names of God where the the Bible uses one of these names and adds something onto it. And the the one we're looking at today comes in Exodus chapter 15. It's uh, Yahweh Rapha or Jehovah Rapha in in older kind of translation. And before we read this, it's at the the second half of Exodus 15, just a, a quick frame for where this passage appears in the context of scripture. Chapter 14 records the Israelites 
uh, fleeing through the Red Sea that had been parted by God for their escape from the Egyptians. It records that, and then it records at the end of the chapter, the Red Sea coming in on the, the Egyptians and Israel's oppressor and enemy being thoroughly defeated so that now they're free. And the, the first chapter, first part of chapter 15 is uh, a record of the song of Moses and the song of Miriam, these songs written to commemorate this great salvation that had just happened, literally just happened. And then after all the celebrating was done, we come to this passage. So we pick up in chapter 15, verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. There's the name. I am the Lord who heals you. Friends, indeed, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are broken and need healing. It's probably the the first takeaway of this story. Uh, That we, meaning all of humanity now, not just us in the room, we are broken and need healing. Looking back on my life, I really wish someone had told me that, point blank, just straight away. It's not just you, John. It's all of us. We are broken and, and need healing. You know, on, on the physical side, it's, it's, it's really obvious. Uh, one author commenting on the, on the physical disease and sickness in the world says this, nothing is more obvious and tragic and costly than the toll which sickness has exacted from human life and happiness. It's, it's everywhere, an everyday experience for us. You know, just this week, we lost our dear sister, LaVey Kimmer. She succumbed to her uh, very long illnesses. Uh, Just this week, I learned of another friend, yet another friend, who has stage four cancer. We live in this world. It's everywhere. And it's painful. I mean, in the history of humanity, plagues have threatened entire nations destroyed vast swaths of populations. I mean, we are broken and need healing physically. But it's not just physical. The prophet Isaiah uses this physical imagery to describe the spiritual and moral condition of his own people. Look at this. Why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured. Your whole heart afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with olive oil. 
you run that through the decoder ring and you get, we're a mess. Not just you, not just me, we are a mess. Broken, in need of healing. The prophet Jeremiah puts it, uh, puts it this way, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And this is, this is the fundamental disease, the sickness of the heart, the, the propensity to misdirect our primary allegiance, which is sin. Says one Bible scholar, sin is any lack of conformity to the moral character of God or the law of God. We sin by thinking evil, speaking evil, acting evil, or omitting good. Sin is expressed in our behavior but it is much deeper than our behavior. And to grapple with a sin, something that we've done and we know to be wrong, to grapple with that behavior is one thing. To grapple with one's sinful nature, meaning the the propensity, even the desire within us to do what we know to be wrong, To grapple with that is something different altogether. You've heard it in conversation. Maybe you've said it at some point in your life. Well, I'm I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. You know, the conversation was going along nicely and somehow it took a turn and was, was edging up on this idea that people are broken and in need of healing and and that if we're really honest, we're rather helpless if left to ourselves and, and we might need something beyond ourselves to, to make us whole, to make us well. I mean, let's just say it, to save us. And, and whenever that happens, you've observed this too, people start getting twitchy. What, what do you mean? There are people way worse than me. I don't, I, I have some need, but I'm, I'm not that bad. The I'm not that bad line is a lie. Don't let it get a foothold in your heart. That, that line reveals an inadequate understanding of sin and thus an inadequate understanding of our need for healing. The I'm not that bad line thinks of sin only as a behavior problem. The I'm not that bad line seeks to create room in us to believe that that we're really okay on the inside and the real problem is that we just make a bad choice from time to time. And, And you know, who doesn't do that? Surely God would understand. To be very direct, you are that bad. I am that bad. We are that bad. We are broken. Not just a little sick. Broken. And need healing. For the wages of sin is death. What comes from sin? It's uh, just compensation. Is death. Death not just physically, in every way. Because it's leading us on the road directly away from God. Life is that way. 
death is that way. And sin takes us down that road. See, our problem is spiritual. We're broken on the inside and, and need healing. And in the story we read today, it, it's clearly illustrated. The Israelites saw God's mighty power exercised on their behalf in the Exodus and the final culmination of that. You know, the, the Red Sea swooshing over the enemies of Israel and, and doing away with them. It's an amazing, unbelievable, supernatural story. In one moment, they thought they were done. You know, the situation was hopeless. They would be overrun and killed by the Egyptians in, in just a few moments. And, and the very next instant, they were saved. Safe from danger and death, freed from the oppressors who had long held them captive. God acted definitively on their behalf and their lives changed in an instant. And three days later, the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Three days after the exodus, three days from salvation to grumbling. Three days. And before we say, whoa, how could they be so dense? How could they possibly forget so quickly? What's wrong with them? You all know what I'm going to say. Them is us. We do that. I do that. I know you do it because I know that I do it. I have some profound experience of God and I am absolutely amazed at my capacity to wander away again. Absolutely amazed. I mean, their story is our story. Our problem is spiritual. We're broken on the inside and need healing. I've been focusing on the, on the names of God uh, this summer and I, I found one resource that uh, kind of makes the case for this idea that there might be a progressive revelation uh, that God planned into the way the names are unfolded. I, I don't know if I totally buy it because you know, the books aren't necessarily in chronological order and, the, and there's more to think about there. But it's an interesting thought. And a, as this author makes this argument, you know, they're the foundational names of God and then the, the first two compound names of God based on, on Yahweh, the personal name of God, are Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider, and Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. And there's something to be said about this, right? Because the first thing that we realize that we need as human beings is provision. We need to eat. We need shelter. We need safety. We need all these things. Give us this day our daily bread. Right? Jesus taught us to pray it. And uh, you know, our daily bread, in, in, in Hebrew, that word for bread is lachem. And there's a whole word family associated with that word that refers to kind of the provisions that we need for life. So bread is a provision that we need for life and representative of all we need for, for living. And the word for war in Hebrew is, is very much associated with that word for provision because the concept of war in the Hebrew mind was the battle for the provisions needed for life. That's why we fight, to get what we need to live. So war was essentially breading you know, the struggle for bread. And some of you know this because I've gone here before, but there's a whole nother sermon to be preached about this because Jesus, of course, said he was the bread of life, the lachem of life. And interestingly, he was born in Bethlehem, Beit Lachem, 
the house of bread, the house of provision. So the gospel says that all we need has been provided. Jesus is the bread. You don't need to uh, fight for it anymore. All warring can end because everything that is needed has been provided. So that this provision kind of thing. And there's a second reality. Once we receive all the provision that we need in this life, um, even in our faith, I would say, we bump into the reality that people get sick. That we're, that we're not well. That we need healing. We need provision. And, and we need healing. You know, all of us, along with all of creation, are, as the book of Romans puts it, in bondage to decay. You build a barn, unless you maintain it, it falls down. If you build a car, Unless you keep it nice, it rusts and falls apart. If you have a baby, at some point, he or she will die. As hard as that is to imagine. I mean, even with substantial provision, we still decay. We are broken and need healing. And, and the good news is that God is Yahweh Rapha. The Lord who heals us. God is the great healer of people. I mean, the gospel is primarily concerned with the moral and spiritual sickness and healing of mankind for behind all the evils of physical sickness is sin. That's thanks to Nathan Stone. He wrote a great book on the names of God that I've been using a lot in this series. the, The Bible is really clear on this. You know, the spiritual math is never as simple as you got sick because you did something wrong. It's never that simple. And it is true that sin causes physical sickness. Look at Psalm 32. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. Your strength, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. I get that that's not hard proof of this. But the Old Testament is also very clear that God can use sickness and disease as judgment upon sin. That is true. There's a lot of mystery here, but we do know that all sickness and disease are somehow the result of sin and that God is in the business of bringing ultimate healing because we know that in God's kingdom there will be no sickness nor sadness because there will be no sin. So despite the mystery of the hows and whys of of physical illness and sickness, we know God's purpose is to heal and make whole. In Jeremiah, we, we read this, but I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord. And Isaiah, Isaiah speaks of the day when the Lord binds up the bruises of his people and heals the wounds he inflicted. I mean, the will and desire and power are present in God to heal us in the forever sense. And God is working out that plan right now in in Jesus. And the only problem, seemingly, that we, meaning humanity now, has is that we don't accept this. We don't receive it. And in that, that sense, we're the problem. Writes Moses, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. In the imagery of the story today, healing is as close as that piece of wood at that little oasis of Mara. Piece of wood, really a tree, literally, near the bitter waters of Mara. The remedy is right here, 
close at hand, not over there somewhere, right here. I mean, Jesus said it. The time has come. The kingdom of God has drawn near. That means right here. Not near as in on the other side of Grand Rapids. Not near as in on the other side of the parking lot. Near as in right here. The kingdom of God is upon us. Jesus came to teach and and preach and, and heal. He healed. Incredible acts. Of, of healing. When, when John the Baptist wondered from prison if Jesus really was the Messiah, he sent his associates to ask Jesus. Jesus replied, tell John this, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Meaning, healing is always proof of Jesus' identity and verification of his primary mission our healing from sin, our healing from the broken relationship with God. I mean, Jesus healed many physically and his ongoing invitation was this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest, rest or literally cure for your souls. Healing. We are broken and need healing and Jesus came to heal. Really, I mean, the the teaching of Mara is fulfilled in Jesus. Think of it. On the cross, Jesus became the tree, the piece of wood, which made the bitter pools of human existence sweet waters of life and goodness. You know, at Mara, the water was bitter, and God made the water good through the tree. On this side of the cross, we know that Jesus is both the tree and the water. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. This is what God has put in the bitter pools of our lives to make them sweet again. And Jesus to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The water of life. Right? God provides and God heals. And, and this, this is really important because it's so easy to misunderstand or maybe not misunderstand, maybe to under-understand the gospel. In, in his uh, book, The Explicit Gospel, um, a pastor from, from Dallas unpacks a kind of experiment he ran in his church. There were many people coming to be baptized and he realized that many of them had grown up in the church. So he began an informal survey, just began talking with them. And he, he learned that most of them had a concept of the gospel that Once we came to Christ, he took away the bad stuff we'd done in the past. But in a go-forward basis, we were responsible for keeping ourselves clean from there on. No! Right? This is the beauty of the gospel, that God forgives our debt and deposits into our account the perfect righteousness of Christ. 
We're, we're going to be uh, in the fall doing a sermon series through at least the first half of Paul's letter to the Romans. And uh, uh, Pastor Dave Bass shared with me a resource just this last week in preparation for that. And I was kind of looking through this. And th- there was a line in there that was too good not to share, even though I'll share it again in the fall. Reflecting on the end of Romans 3, where the scripture says, uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The speaker was reflecting on that and saying, it, it, that's really quite something if you think of it. Because if, if I were to write that, I would say, you know, I, I have sinned and fallen short of the law of God. So think of Paul's concept of the gospel. It's not that we sinned and just didn't do what God instructed us to do. It's that we've sinned and fallen short of a much higher calling, the glory of God. Because it is that to which every human being has been called. An amazing invitation to to be co-workers with God in the the world, to regain our position as kind of co-creators, co-rulers in a creation made and brought together by the Father and ruled lovingly by the king and his co-workers. The, the, the full glory of God. It, see, God doesn't just forgive the bad stuff we've done and let us hobble through life moving forward. It's that God erased the negative balance in our spiritual bank account and dropped in, you know, $100 million spiritually. The, the perfect righteousness of Christ, everything we would ever need forever has been provided. Right? The water has been made sweet again and we are invited to drink. We're invited to drink. Right? The very, some of the very last verses of the Bible are these. The spirit and the bride say, come. The Holy Spirit and the bride of Christ, meaning the church. The Holy Spirit and the church say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty Come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. It's the standing invitation, friends. Maybe you've been walking with the Lord for as long as you can remember. You can never remember a day you didn't know Jesus. Come, take the free gift of the water of life. It's been made sweet again, and we're invited to drink. Maybe you know nothing of this. Maybe you're kind of exploring the claims of Jesus. Maybe you don't even know what to think. The basic claim is that Jesus actually did what he claimed to do. He lived and died and rose again, that he's alive right now and inviting every human being everywhere to return to him in a relationship of trust. Not just where we think well of Jesus in our head, think he was a pretty cool guy, did some pretty cool things, but where we internally transition the trust for our lives from whatever it is we're doing to prop up our own life to Jesus and what he did on the cross. The invitation to faith is an invitation to a transfer of trust. And we, as a church, alongside the Holy Spirit, say to you today, come. It's a better way to live. It's a better way to live. The Spirit and the Bride say come. Friends, the waters have been made sweet again by the goodness of our God 
and we are invited to drink. Indeed, God is the one who heals us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me. God, thank you that you are good. Thank you that throughout the scripture we see your larger purpose of pursuing people, uh, wooing us back to you, revealing how good you really are, helping us see that life apart from you is nothing less than death. And we don't want to choose that. So help us by your spirit overcome every barrier within us that would, that would keep us from you, God. Be there barriers of pride. Uh, overcome those. Be there barriers of, of resistance of, or guilt, thinking that we're not quite good enough or, or clean enough or that we might not know enough to come to you. Sweep all those away, God, and, and replace them with the the presence of your spirit in us and the freedom that you bring, Lord Jesus. Thank you that it is for freedom that you have set us free. By your spirit, fill us and help us again know and enjoy and live in that freedom. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Thank you for your healing. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.